Hello, and welcome to Alive or Just Blethering, a podcast where two 30-somethings discuss the music we found and loved growing up. My name is Keith McLeod, and with me is my fellow host, Chris Lavender. Today on Alive or Just Blethering, I'll be taking us through a snow-capped romance by 36 Crazy Fists. Hello, Keith. How are you this afternoon? Good for you. You're doing well. Think I'll kill myself. Straight into that. Hated it. Mate, there's nothing wrong with Olivia Rodrigo. I'm going to stand up in defence because the other stuff that young kids listen to these days is true garbage. What she's doing is at least palatable. Right. Well, that's a lie. And we're going to pick up on where we left off last week. But first of all, welcome to the listeners. If you're uh, coming back to a live or just blathering, thanks very much. We're obviously here to talk about Crazy Fist. If you're new to the podcast, well, this is where 2.30-somethings just talk shit about the music we found and loved growing up. But last week, we were... Um, last week was Ruben, race cars, race car backwards. Yeah. Towards the end of the pod, we ended up talking about licensing and music getting ripped off and stuff like that. And Lav mentioned Olivia Rodrigo and the controversy around her song, good for you and misery business when i was editing this last week's pod i remembered this and heard it and i thought right i'll go back and listen to that that is top tier garbage that is the biggest pile of flaming shit i have heard in so long mate we're trying to appeal to a younger audience here fuck them no uh, no (laughs) if that's what they're listening to if they're listening to olivia rodrigo good for you Fuck on! I don't it's, want you listening to this. Nah, podcast. nothing wrong with her. She's she's fine. She's she's in that same bandwidth as Billie Eilish. Um, what are you saying? Totally, totally listenable. It's absolutely, not. absolute background music. It's derivative. It's derivative as hell, right? It's, and that's it's fine. As terrible as hell. No, it's not. It's not that bad. It's not as bad as Machine Gun Kelly. You know, King Cock. Um, I don't know who that is? Not listen to him. Well, or basically, hard. have you heard a Blink-182 album from 2001? I think I was there, yeah. Then you've definitely heard Machine Gun Kelly, because that's all he does. Right, okay. But he claims he's, like, you know, invented the genre. Of course he does. But no, he, he was in the news this week because he uh, he got a bit upset halfway through one of his sets at a festival. Half the fans just left to go and watch Slipknot. And then over the microphone, over the microphone... Good for you! Over the microphone, he's like... Oh, I'm so glad I'm not a 50-year-old dude jumping around in a mask. And I'm like, oh, oh, you're really sore about this. But then it, it turns out a lot of other stuff came out in the in, in the sort of the process through Twitter and things where he's like, oh, it's not just that. Corey did it, was meant to be on the, the album Tickets to Your Downfall. Like, he was meant to be on it, but it was so bad. And then Corey's like, I've got receipts for this. And Corey brings out like screenshots of emails where they're like basically dis- agree to disagree that Corey does the track. Corey did the track one way. Machine Gun Kelly and Travis Barker wanted to do it another. And Corey was like, nah, I'm not doing it. And that was it. He was off. But obviously Machine Gun Kelly's taking it. And I feel sorry for Travis Barker and all of this, if I'm being perfectly honest, because he is stuck right in the middle trying to deal with this little diva, 31-year-old diva who thinks he invented pop punk. And basically the entire Slipknot fandom, which... If everyone doesn't know, they're called maggots, and they are 
fucking vocal. Mm-hmm. So, so Machine Gun Kelly is now the um, most hated on the, on the uh, in the list at the moment. If you're not an R. Kelly fan, because he's just been convicted as well, hasn't he? Yeah. Well, fuck that guy and fuck the other guy. True, too. true. For what you were saying about Olivia Rodrigo, I, honestly, I listened to that song and my ears were bleeding. I thought it was awful. I, like irrespective of it ripping off Misery Business, I, I couldn't care less. I just I was genuinely affronted by that song. Okay. And you're now you're now telling me it's okay, it's listenable, man. The pu- the future the future of this podcast is in jeopardy. Oh no. That's, oh no that's no no. Okay. Bit far, bit far. But anyway, let's talk about this. Agree to disagree. This uh this this release. Snowcap Romance, Thirty Six Crazy Fists, coming at ya. Hmm. Mixed feelings. This is. I don't know. Cut to the chase. This was a fucking solid six out of ten for me, mate. I struggled. Yeah, Jeopardy. Honestly, love. We're burning. We're burning through. <laughs> this... Burning through the sky here. Like... The engines are ablaze. We're practically in a straight nosedive. I don't know what it was. Six out of ten. It was, or at least at best, and that's me being generous. This this album, when I first put it on. I was like, I've not listened to this. I've not listened to Thirty Six Crazy Fists since pretty much two thousand and probably four, which was when I listened to them. The, I listened to them right around the time I saw them live. I've seen them once. I probably listened to them maybe the month leading up to the gig, maybe a month afterwards. I probably listened to the album that came out after this, which was the one that featured Howard Jones. Yeah. And yeah, this didn't. This this does not compute. This does not sit well with me uh, any longer. It's not aged very well, I don't think, and I can't, I can't quite put my finger on it, but I think it, to me, it feels like a, they're trying too hard to be not new metal, and wow, like they, I just wish they'd embrace it. I, I feel like if they, they don't seem to embrace one particular genre, and you know what. You know, fair dues. If, if a band wants to do what they want to do, all all be to them. They can do as much as they can, whatever. But I just think that ah, oh, the pick a lane is the is the phrase that you've used in 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 previous ones. Pick a lane. You're not a new, you're, you've got you're a new metal band without the fun, and you're a metalcore band without the precision. It's like pick one, fucking pick one. That is damning. That that is wow. Sorry, I'm not, but yeah. No, interesting what you said about, or interesting what you're saying about you're you're not tight enough to be a metalcore band and you're not, whatever it was you said about being a fun. new metal band. Uh, new, new metal fun. always is, is a, a matter of fun for me. You know, you've got the DJ scratching, you've got a bit of rapping in there. It's a bit daft. They, don't, they didn't take themselves too seriously, I don't feel. And... Yeah, that that was one of the sort of core concepts of new metal to me. It was like it was, it was fun. It was new. It was fresh. These guys are just taking themselves a wee bit too seriously, especially on a couple of the songs. I'll need to uh, remember. I think is it is it skin and atmosphere. Yeah, I think it was one that I'm like, oh mm, no, no, no. Don't get me wrong. That's one of the that's one of the slower songs of the album. To be fair. There are songs on this which I was like, oh, I'm glad I re-listened to this. So there's at least two songs I would 
put on a rotation semi-regular actually now. Mm. Bloodwork and Kenai. Right. Because those are the two that I feel they've made a clear artistic decision to to to, to pick a pick a lane. The rest of the album, bit of a meandering mix of stuff, and it just feels like it's missing something, like missing a DJ or a rap, just someone rapping, just fucking speed up your vocals or something. Just, just something's missing. I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. So sorry to hear this. I mean, I picked Crazy Fist because they definitely were a band that I sort of found, you know, late 2003, 2004. Snowcap Romance came out in 2004. You had Bitterness, the star. Their first album came out in 2002. Slitlerist Theory is still one of my all-time greatest songs. Like, you know, if we, we talked about doing singles before. If we never did Crazy Fists, I think I would have had to have done Slitlerist Theory because it's brilliant. Went back and listened to the first album. Very good. Still very raw. You know, you can tell they're finding their yeah. sound and stuff like that. And I will agree that Snowcap Romance is still quite raw. I think they're still sort of I think they know their sound. They're just perfecting their sound at this point. I would say if you go on to Arrest Inside the Flames is is a far more polished article. But Crazy Fist themselves, I don't know that I've just the band just always appealed to me. It's maybe just coming off the back of Slitter's Theory. I just thought they were always fun. They were, you know, riffy and energetic and I thought Brock's vocals were great. I mean, at some points you can't tell what the guy's saying because he's just warbling like it's a, Dylan's it, it, jaws just swinging. But, oh, he's, he's got that. He's got that Daryl Palumbo sort of sort of moment. Yeah, very much so. And actually, it, and it feels like a. I can't hold a note. I can't sing. I can scream. So I'm going to sort of hit a middle ground. And yeah, it, it was a bit of a. Ooh, I did. I never. I've never ever put Glassjaw and Thirty Six Crazy Fist together in a sentence before, but. After listening to Snowcat Romance, I was like, oh, there's a lot of glass jaw elements in there. So they've got that post hardcore sort of attempt in there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Brock's vocals, very distinctive to the band. I think, is it, was it Thomas Noonan was drumming for them at the time? Yeah. 10 out of 10 for drums. He is solid, fast, pacey, and I think a lot of the drums carry a good bit of funkiness, which is probably where it sort of picks that new metal element up. He's clearly using a really tight snare. I think the production overall and the drums, I mean, production on the album per se is kind of lacking. Uh, It was produced by James Paul Wisner, who who had done your favourite band, Under Oath. Oh, man. Did a lot for Dashboard Confessionals, and just as we were sort of talking about them earlier as well, they did um, Paramore, their first album. So... He's he's done he's not done a lot in recent years, but you're right. I, I mean, well, personally, I'm biased. Obviously, I think all the songs are great, and all the elements of the songs are great. You know, it's not ten out of ten every time, but yeah, you're right. Drums are absolutely all over the place and really energetic. Remember, they're just a four piece. That surprises me, and I think it it works in their favour for for having sort of that bit raw sound which i think a four piece sort of lends itself to yeah i think yeah totally then so you've got thomas noonan on drums you had mick whitney on bass 
fucking massive dude. But I, you know, I just if you've that's one thing that got me about Crazy Fist. Like there were I met Brock at a gig, at a gig after party one time. Dude was huge. Like I'm six three and I was like looking up to him. They're big like, boys. They're big, big, but not not. Yeah, they they were very very tall. And I remember them even being on stage in front of me. And I've only seen them the once, which was at the venue. Mm-hmm. And if anyone else is, remembers the venue on stage, there wasn't much ceiling room. Yep. And I'll never forget um, Thomas sitting behind the drums and like he couldn't flip his drumsticks up. Like he would, <laughs> they would like to do that little like sort of like flare trick where they would throw a drumstick, spin it round and catch it. He couldn't even do that. That's how low the ceiling was. And yeah, I remember Brock having to like duck around the stage. But it was good. It worked because he was he was in the crowd and they were an incredibly energetic band to see live. Have you seen them other than I know we've talked about one which is the same one that we were at, but have you seen them more than once? Just well, this is the thing. I was looking earlier through the sort of playlists and, and where I where I saw them playing. Yes, we both saw them in the venue in Edinburgh. That was 2004 on the 8th of October, 2004. So, you know, almost coming up to Jesus, the 20th anniversary of that gig. <laughs> that's right. Now. 17 years ago. That was, that's fun. That's where they were supported by 18 Visions and Bullet for My Valentine. Yep. I definitely saw them again because it was in Glasgow. I saw them at the after party. I am right. sure. And I'm sure it was Glasgow Garage. But I can't for the life of me find a sort of... Now, if I remember the people I was with at the time, this must have been circa 2004 to maybe 2006 or seven. Yeah. Not a big window in between afterwards to when I would have caught that gig with those people. Mm-hmm. And I can't find a listing for it. But yeah. I've seen them twice. So I'm not entirely sure how, when, why, where, what. But yeah, both that I mean that we'll talk about the venue show because it was amazing. It was Bullet for, Bullet for My Valentine were touring the the Hand, Hand of Blood EP. Yeah, so that was the, that was the first time I'd ever seen Bullet for My Valentine live. Same. And it was pretty much right on the cusp of them becoming massive. Yeah. Like yeah, I'm sure just just beforehand. Twelve months later they released The Poison. The Poison, yep. And they blew up and they were doing, you know, they were doing something which I think was going to be, which was going to become popular, which was very much the introduction of that 80s thrash metal sound being brought into new metal and into the metalcore. And it, it re- they really thrashed up metalcore a bit for me. And I went back and... 80s thrash if it was neuter. No, oh, totally. It's, 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 it's beige in comparison but for 2004 it was something it felt fresh for the time i guess you know, i remember a friend of ours um sort of saying i don't know if it was mtv2 or it might have been similar to your experience with tool but it was like a kerrang dvd of videos and i'm sure my friend chucked it our friend chucked it on uh reamer what's up man <laughs> and he threw on this DVD and he was just like man you're gonna fucking love this and it was Hand of Blood and he was right I did love it uh, so when you know when 18 Visions as well who had just released Obsession yep that came out in July of that year like man this was this was one of the pe- for 2004 this might have been my perfect gig oh totally oh, absolutely I mean the the difference is there was so of the three bands that played so there we go we've got Bullet for Valentine 
18 Visions, 36 Crazy Fists. The bands that I started listening to after this gig were much more inspired by 18 Visions and Bullet from a Valentine than 36 Crazy Fists. Okay. Which is probably an interesting sort of thought to me. It's like I probably went down a more... Because I would say 18 Visions, they were a bit more glam, emo. They were very eyeliner and black skinny jeans, 2004. That's the thing about 18 Visions. We're probably going to... Either one of us are probably going to do Obsession, so we can maybe look a little bit more into this. But from what I can remember of 18 Visions, they were... Obsessions was a complete like 180 for them. They had done sort of two mostly hardcore, almost screamo-like albums. Yeah. And then we've used the term before and we don't like it, but for lack of a better word, may have, quote, sold out on Obsessions and did something that was far more friendly or far more accessible, you know, had the clean vocals. Still heavy as shit. We were talking earlier about Tower of Snakes. Oh, Tower of Snakes is so heavy. To this day, it still slaps so hard. That's my go-to beatdown. Tower of Snakes is like, if I just... If I just have a generic beat down in my head, it's the jigga 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 jim, jigga jigga jim, jigga jigga jim 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 jigga. Like so basic, but so so good. But Obsessions was still a complete turnaround for them to the point where like their their previous drummer had left, and it was Reamer who was at that show was like screaming for them to play their older stuff, and they're like, we can't. The the drummer doesn't know it. Totally threw the guy into the bus. I don't know if you remember that being shouted at the point, but that you didn't know us, so you might not remember. And uh, and yeah, they, they they did obsessions, and then funnily enough, that was their sort of their glam. They they were from, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure they're from Orange County, California. They were they were Avenged Sevenfold before yes. Avenged Sevenfold were 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 big. Well, Avenged Sevenfold they they were another band kicking around at the time, um, and they had a similar sort of aesthetic look to them. Um, yeah. They had a bit more of a, a metal sound because they had. You know they they were using the alternate picking in the songs and and then by the later albums, much more technical. The thing that got me with with eighteen visions, I'll, I'll throw a memory in there for you. And it's this was uh, it would have been probably must have been two thousand five if not two thousand six. They were playing a show in Glasgow, and during their stay in Glasgow, they now you're going to have to cast your mind back here, children to a point when you used internet cafes. People didn't have the internet on their phones. You didn't have Wi-Fi. If you know, if you needed to use the internet while you were out of someone's house, you used an internet cafe. So they were traveling. They've come over from OC in, in, in America, and then they're in Glasgow. So they went into this cafe and started using the computers. And apparently they got asked to leave. Now, they made a point on their MySpace blog that they got asked to leave because of the way they looked. And Mm -hmm. they ended up making a bit of a faux pas in this because they compared their treatment of being kicked out of this cafe to Rosa Parks. Oh, no. And I was like, out, nah, done with this band. Sorry, boys, too far, too much. Nah, not, you can't be doing that kind of stuff. I get it. I get. I get. You were. You were a bit pissed off because the the cafe owner didn't like goths. Whatever. But <laughs> you weren't. You weren't being. You know. No. You're not. You're not. You're not yeah. making a stand here by sitting at the yeah. back of the bus. Stop it. No, I, I was. I was not aware of that. 
sort of story, but just triple checking. Yeah, they were from Orange County. And I suppose when I mean, when I reference uh, Event Sevenfold, it was my understanding that they were doing the sort of glam goth sort of thing before Avenged Sevenfold, but Avenged Sevenfold being from like a sort of similar area then got more success with it. But that's a different story. That's Another band, just while we're dropping bands from Orange County, Bleeding Through, they were a very heavy band again, very much into the makeup, but doing like beatdowns. So I think there's a band that we may have to talk about one day, Bleeding Through, because they have one of the most memorable openings for an for a, for an album that you could ever write because they used the quote from Boondock Saints. Oh no. Oh it's so good. it's still to this day. That if I hate if I ever watch Boondock Saints, it's this song uh by Bleeding Through that always brings me through to it. So fucking good. Bleeding Through were a band I just never got into. Like I'm just having a look at them now. Some of the album artwork is like really you know that the bleeding mouth and stuff like that is really memorable for for the era but i don't there just weren't a band i got into at all uh but again another trust kill band so all these uh 18 visions bleeding through uh another band that was on trust kill that i liked it dies today they were they were their own their own sound and this is what this this gig this point this point in october 2004 was the crossed. was the big was the beginning of our of our friendship possibly but not it could have been but then it but it was the beginning of of my enjoyment of of that that sound that that orange county hardcore of if you want to call it that i'd already heard Avenged sevenfold but 18 visions seeing them live got me through into basically a load of trust kill bands there was a funny story from that gig as well i'm sure i've mentioned it before but while in the pit for Crazy Fists, the then the original bass player for Bullet came running out and sort of stage dived out, but just sort of no, he didn't come into me. So he came out into the mosh pit, and we were just sort of thrown around with him. That little dude was made of bricks. Like okay, eighteen <laughs> year old me wouldn't have been putting up much of a fight, but fucking hell, like I remember just like him pinging off of everyone, and he came into me, and I just had to like once again. Didn't punch myself in the eye, but I did have to walk away being like, "All right, dude, yeah, th- thanks for that one. Cheers." I remember him being quite a quite a short but stocky sort of stocky. guy. Stocky is the word. Let us know if you don't know what stocky means. But yeah, a snowcap romance. So released on the sixteenth of March two thousand four. Uh, the genres uh, are metalcore, post hardcore, and alternative me- alternative metal. Alternative metal sounds probably the more if I had to pigeon, if I had to, and I love pigeonholing bands, if I'm pigeonholing them, I'd make alternative metals a, a much more reasonable place to put them. What does alternative metal mean? Isn't exactly. metal in itself alternative? I think it's just not the sound of if, of 80s sort of hmm. what we now call classic rock. <laughs> Fair. So previously discussed as well, released on Roadrunner. This was their second Roadrunner release. And yeah, first one was Bitness, the star, and get yeah, produced by John James Paul. I was about to say John Paul, James Paul Wisner, and Steve Holt as well. Steve Holt goes on to pretty much produce all of the the, the albums hereafter. There's a name involved. I think I think you need to mention is Andy Sneap. 
Okay, who's Andy Sneap? He was he he is an extremely prolific uh British musician, songwriter, producer, master, mixer. I mean, you can look at his credits and he has done the work. So I think he did the mixing and mastering on this album. On He has, yep. He also did the mixing and mastering on Alive or Just Breathing. Right. He did the mixing and mastering on The Opposite From Within by Caliban. Wow, okay. He did the mastering, mixing, and some vocals on Ascendancy with by Trivium. Oh. He was involved with the audio production and mastering of Hand of Blood by Bullet From a Valentine. All makes sense now. And I'm not even out of 2005 yet, you know? No, I've, I've got the page up now and I can see where you're going with this. Wow. He is. Yeah, God, this guy's done some good work. He is a really, really key, one of those sort of key players in the production of, of metal for the last 30 years. Uh, I mean, he's been involved in his own bands. I think he was in a band called Hell and uh, Sabbath, I believe. He was he's a guitarist. But I think since leaving or since moving into the space of, of audio production and, and mixing and mastering, he really has been involved with some critical, critical work. Metal is definitely the word to use there. Onslaught, Annihilator, Megadeth. Um, fuck Megadeth, though. Slayer, Testament. Saxon! <laughs> fuck me. Fear Factory. Judas Priest. Oh, Kill Switch Atonement. Yeah. And most recently, uh, just to be released in one month from now, he's doing Dream Theater's new album. Just the, little, the mixing and mastering of. Just a little band known as Dream Theater. I went down a bit of a, a rabbit hole, actually, um, earlier in sort of looking through Roadrunner and, and everything about them. And of course, Dream Theater were on Roadrunner for a while. I don't think they still are. I think they only maybe got like two or three albums there, and have since moved on. But but yeah, well you go through a bit of a... was I alone in this? So you'd see a band live, find out what label they're on, and then explore other bands on that label. Was that just me? In between the two of us, yes. Okay. So a lot of the way I discovered new bands was by looking at the roster that that label had. So similar to Trustkill Records. I did the same for Roadrunner, and it was through that that I found out about that whole Roadrunner United album, which came out the two thousand five. Was it? Yes. Uh, I think we're going to save that for an episode, aren't we? That won't go into it too much. That is going to be an episode for sure. Yeah. I think I saw Bullet of all the bands, though. The only band that I saw again was Bullet for My Valentine, and. The next time I would have seen them was supporting Funeral for a Friend on the Hours tour. I'm trying to think if I was there. Don't I don't don't think I saw Bullet at that point. No, I saw them at that was at the Northumbria University. I'm sure that was. I want to say that must have been 2005. Must have been because that would have been. I was I was came out in 2005, didn't it? Yes. Yeah, so it was just after that. Yeah, it was it was summer two thousand five, and Bullet were not opening because the other band was a Static Lullaby, but it was then it was uh, Bullet followed by Funeral for a Friend, which 
Total Welsh connection. Those those boys tore that place to bits, man. It was such a hot gig. I remember the gig just being the hottest place on earth. Where was it? I was at the Northumbria University. Oh, sorry, yeah. Um, no, um, that also sounds like my 2005, my perfect show for 2005, to be fair. Bullet and uh, Faf, definitely. No, the the reason, sorry, I was I went sort of down a bit of a, a roadrunner hole is because Crazy Fists were brought to the Roadrunner label by Monty Connor, a.k.a. the guy that founded Roadrunner. Like, obviously, he's credited for finding a shit ton of metal bands, but he was responsible for, for finding 36 Crazy Fists as well uh, because their the demo they cut at the time uh, had been... Had been what? Don't leave me in suspense. Sorry, hadn't... Sorry, no, they... Um, the song had the 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 four track demo they'd done had gone through Skin Lab. Now Skin Lab are a band I have no idea who they are. Never heard of them. Don't think I've heard of any of their songs. But they were friends with Crazy Fist, and they took that demo and passed it on to Monty Connor from Roadrunner, and that's how they ended up getting signed to Roadrunner in uh, in two thousand. I mean, looking at Roadrunner's current current lineup, I actively listen to. One, two, three, four, four bands on their current roster. Yeah, that's incredibly small, isn't it? Well, you've got, I mean, but then you look at the size of the bands that are in there. You've got Code Orange, who are, I think, about as big as you're going to get for a for a heavy metal band at the moment for what they play. Are cool. they? God, I'm so out of touch. You've got Turnstile on there. Now, Turnstile are one of my favourite bands at the moment. Who the fuck are Turnstile? Jesus Christ, Keith. Never mind. Um, you've got Slipknot still on Roadrunner. They, they're they're old old school stalwarts. Oh, I think I know the Slipknot. Aye, that's the boys. Aye, they, they wear the masks, don't they? <laughs> that's the boys. Um, Gajira, they're on Roadrunner now. Yeah. Fantastic metal band. Probably the pioneers. Current The current forerunners of classic metal if if that even makes fucking sense then they are they are making metal cool again in my probably worst description i could probably ever give of it okay uh, there was there's another band higher power i yeah they're from leeds like we saw them live <laughs> we saw higher power in manchester with every time i die yes wow there we go so yeah there's there's at least Four or five bands that I would listen to semi-regularly. Gajira and Turnstile, 100%. I would listen to once. I'd probably listen to them once a week. So Roadrunner is still an important part of my listening habit. Yeah, I suppose not so much for me. If if I'm just sort of on the face of it really now, Slipknot are probably the only band. I mean... I did mention a couple of weeks ago I was sort of bored to tears with the new Trivium stuff. That's not to say I'm not going to like the new album. Yeah, I don't actively listen to the new Corn anymore. And, well, there was never much of a Coheed and Cambria fan. Apart from that, yeah, I'm really sort of surprised that... I mean, is it just me? Or, am I su- or are you surprised as well at how small the current roster is? I think it's when you compare it to the past artists of Roadrunner. Well, which it, just... irrespective of that, it's, but it's the that. size of it, though. I mean, I remember. I mean, I've got I've got a DVD, probably the same DVD that you that Rima put on, 
from 2005 Metal Hammer, and it's like the Roadrunner, Road Rage, it's called. Yeah. And it's like, I'm sure there's like 30 songs on this DVD, and it's all the videos for those songs. And, I mean, there's there's 30, I'm pretty sure it's 28 bands on one single DVD, and then you look at this list, and there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, you know, 19 barely 19 barely 19 bands on it and there was was 20 years ago they were clearly much bigger i'm wondering if they've they've just cut the fat trimmed it down made themselves yeah. more lean and focusing on one off bands perhaps they went through a phase of just having too many and then they couldn't focus properly on them but you go through that list fuck me there's you'd be hard pressed to find a band you haven't heard of in that list for anyone who's never heard of Roadrunner Records. Well, I think that's my surprise. I think, you know, like we're saying, 2003-2005, Roadrunner were massive for us. We were listening to a lot of Roadrunner bands at the time. That was I'm not going to say that was their peak because I don't know, but it was certainly their, their peak for me in listening to them. And yeah, I'm just really shocked that at the lack, I'm, at least my perceived lack, of bands that they currently have, but you know, maybe they've never had more than nineteen bands at one time. So, so who am I to speak? But yeah, let's 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 delve into that back catalogue when we actually come to Roadrunner ninety, the twenty fifth anniversary. Fuck. So yeah, move on. Snowcap Romance, thirty six Creative Fest, bringing it back. Oh yeah, bringing it back. Yeah, bit of a sad story as to sort of how the band were formed. In all honesty. It came from the death of a friend. To be more specific, their friend was murdered. So, wow. Yeah, very sad story. So the the band are from Anchorage, Alaska, which still blows my mind. Alaska is part of America, but we're not going to go there. I imagine Anchorage is sort of like the Inverness of of America. Yeah, like if you look at the pictures, it doesn't look like an American city. Do you know what I mean? It's very out of the way. It's yeah, every, everything. Everything arrives late, <laughs> which looks prob- small. Yeah. So the band are from Anchorage, Alaska, and they were originally made up of three different bands. The originally a five piece as well. They had two guitars when they started off. So the only reason that the five members actually came together is because. Uh, Brock was in a band called Hessian and he was in a band with a gentleman by the name of Dwayne Monson. Now, unfortunately, on the 20th of January 1994, after a gig, a sort of altercation came out between Monson and a soldier, uh, a squaddy who was stationed nearby, and from all reports, it seemed as if Monson was trying to step back out of the altercation, was trying to calm the situation down, but ended up getting stabbed in the throat for his troubles. Fuck. So he unfortunately died at the age of 27 so given that he was part of the local music scene his friends rallied around him and they did a charity show that was the first collaboration of what became 36 crazy fists Uh, however more heartbreak for the band yeah so obviously the band are in tacoma uh, are in anchorage not a lot going on up there. They decided to move to some southern states to try and get sort of more touring, whatever, uh, and ended up in Washington, Tacoma, Washington, so not that much far south. But uh, yeah, then on the 16th of June 1996, 
the then bass player JD Stewart died in a car crash Shit. at age twenty three. Fuck. So it was at that point the second guitarist uh, Ryan Bronwell left the band, just removed himself. He was like, "I'm not going to continue this anymore," and they brought in uh, Mick to, okay. to to pick up. Sorry. Yeah, and that was sorry, yeah. bass player that died, guitarist left. They brought in Mick to, to, to bring on bass duties. And it was Thomas Noonan who was on drums from that from that original setup. Yeah. Uh, and Noonan was Monson's uh, like protege, apparently. They were I don't know if he was teaching them or whatever. So yeah, really sort of sad backstory as to how the band formed, but I suppose I have always, as much as I said earlier, like I really enjoyed Thirty Six Crazy Fest. I found them like sort of fun and like engaging and bouncy and riffs. Obviously, there has sort of been some like somber moments. The 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 maybe because they're from Anchorage. There's a lot of comparisons and metaphors to the sea, and fishermen. Yeah, and yeah. That sort of stuff comes back, especially in later albums as well. Right. So, I yeah I. Yeah, I, I I don't. I think what what sort of takes me with with bands like this, and I, I sort of see a bit of it. I'm I'm not from a particularly big town or particularly big city, and you know when I was sixteen, seventeen years old, helping out friends' bands and stuff, it really was just proper fucking ramshackle. And then every once in a while, some band who was from the big city would come and play in our little town. And we'd fucking tear the place to bits, and these yeah. and these guys are like fucking hell the fucking the, the the hicks are cr- you know the the rednecks are crazy whatever you want to call them, and that's that's what where I was from you know it was just somewhere like that so I sort of can see when a band like Crazy Fist are doing and I think I've, I've probably been probably a bit bit harsh on them for for sounding like new metal probably long after the new metal boat had sailed was when you're from a small town or village. Um, trends take longer to reach you yeah so you were always a little bit out of sync with the 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 big city with the bigger world so when you know when when kids in in glasgow were listening to you know someone someone like lincoln park four years later someone like crazy fist comes out and yeah they've they've got that sort of disconnect which almost lends themselves to having sort of a semi-unique sound and and actually being able to sort of hone in on a a, a sound or a type of sound or you know a broad spectrum that can allow them to carve a niche for themselves which i think brock's vocals they do that i think they're, they're pretty unique i find steve's guitar playing to be quite boring it's very wow, ch- really it's chuggy it's funky it's riffy but it's not technical. There's, he carries. He can carry a tune, but I don't find that it's very engaging. It's probably the more fair way to put it. He's not a bad guitarist by any standard, but I feel like he's just a bit boring, shall I say. Oh, wow. That's a real shame. I do. Sorry, I do like the sound that Mick Whitney brings on bass. Especially in in bitterness of star, but also in the snowcap romance, which we are talking about this evening. He he's there's a couple of moments when he gets a real like chunky 
bass riff in there. And like, that's that's good. I like that. Do that more and it doesn't happen enough. I almost agree with everything you said apart from finding Steve boring. I think there are, musically they're a three-piece. Brock isn't playing an instrument as far as I'm aware. So it is just guitar, drums, bass. You can hear the layering. You know, he's obviously recording parts in the studio to carry that. But I think at the end of the day, he knows he's going to play these songs live. So he's trying to put as much into what is going to be the rhythm section, unless he's got a part to play that's lead or whatever. I think Mike is great and does a lot to, to bolster that. And he has his bass parts. And you're right, those, those, that, that bass tone on a snowcap is awesome. And they can complement each other really, really well. But to call... Mike, uh, sorry to call Steve boring. I'm I'm gutted by that because I find him really, I find him really energetic. I find he he puts a lot out there to to make the Crazy Fist songs like happen, and I think the three of them gel really well to to give you those bounce, to give you that bounce, and to give you those grooves and stuff. So, mm. so okay. that's a bit that, that's a bit sad. But when you're saying they sort of missed. New metal. Did did they miss new metal? Well, I've just been looking at that. So I think it's because that's when these albums got released. You know, new metal was uh, 99 to 2001. It was a you know flash in the pan. Uh, I find that if you listen to Bitterness a Star, Bitterness the Star, I can never say it properly, mm-hmm. it's like listening to a Korn album. There's some really funky numbers in there it can't there's no other word i can use for it they've got this funk metal this groove especially when you start taking into account that this was that bitterness the star was apparently written between 1997 and 98 the majority of the songs were written you know three or four years before the album actually saw the the light of day yeah it only wasn't until they were signed to roadrunner that they actually got the sort of recognition in the in, in 2002. Yeah, so they've had these songs sitting there for, for three or four, five years almost, potentially. And by that point, styles had significantly changed. Things had Things moved very quickly in that space between 97 and 2002 because that was when you started seeing the introduction of Metalcore. And then if you go into the album after a snowcap romance, we were talking about, um, what was that, uh, what inside the flames? Rest inside the rest, flames. Rest inside the flames. So much metalcore in that. So so much. You've got, I mean, you've got Howard Jones on it. The song Elysium is a prime example of Steve then moving into that bit more alternate picking. There's, you know, Thomas has got a bit more of a um, punk sound, hardcore sound on on the drums, and that's where I think they started moving their sound towards. And I think you said it right at the beginning. This is this was a formative album for them, surprisingly, even though it was their third. I think they were still finding their sound even at this stage. Strangely, Roadrunner didn't release it in America. Who did? DRT Entertainment. In, oh, for Rest Inside the Flames? Yep. Uh, Roadrunner released it internationally, but they didn't release it in the US. And that sort of reflects because let me find it here, let me find it. Let me Jeez, find you it. look at the roster for DRT. Defunct in two thousand and nine, but the names on that 
they fit. They fit the Crazy Fist sound. Soil. Power Man 5000. American Head Charge. Fu Manchu. <laughs> but yeah, there's the Rasmus. Christ. Oh, oh. God, they were awful. Uh, uh, no, sorry, uh, I was uh, just trying uh, to find it in my notes somewhere that even once they re-released Roadrunner eventually, or there, there was eventually a release in the US, but it only picked up like 1,200 copies in its first week. Wow. They had, a, a, you know, sadly, they had a massive drop-off. Uh, don't, don't quote me on that because I can't find what specific album that's regarding. I, I was sure it was Rest Inside the Flames, but I, I now can't find the note. Uh, it... According to the, the chart peaks sort of table, that it it was their highest charting. Oh no, Time and Trauma charted higher in the UK actually at sixty one. Uh, Rest Inside the Flames was seventy one. Snowcat Romance one hundred and twenty three. So it took them time. Yeah, here it is. Sorry, uh, the album was a success in the UK. Rest Inside the Flames debuting at number seventy one in the UK album charts and reaching number two in BBC's rock album charts. However, the album only sold 1,858 copies in the US during its first week of release. It's not a lot, is it? That's, I think it's buttons in comparison, to be honest. So, strangely enough, they seemed to be bigger in the UK. And that reflected in their touring. They came over to the UK and toured Rest Inside the Flames before they, they toured it in America. Interesting. Also, to correct myself from last week again... I said Howard Jones was on a snowcap romance. He's not. He's on this album, Rest Inside the Flames. I love Rest Inside the Flames. I think, I said it earlier, you know, they, they sort of find their sound a bit more. It's a bit more of a, a polished entity and article. I, I think it's great, especially when it's the... Ah, oh crap, I'm putting myself on the spot here. A Midnight Swim and then the acoustic version of The City Ignites. Don't know why, I just fucking love those songs. There's, they're, they're probably a bit corny and cheesy and shit, but I just think they're re- like a midnight swim is really really great. Did you did you listen to that when I sent it to you earlier? Nah, I got as far like I say that Elysium uh, is is the track that I'll never forget from this album because I I do think it's a a real banger of a metalcore riff. Mm-hmm. Again, Andy Sneap involved in the production of it. Nice, but. I just, I don't know, by this point, again, another two years had passed. I, I barely I barely caught on to 36 Crazy Fists after seeing them live in, in October of 2004. Rest Inside the Flames came and went, and it was by that point, 2006, tastes are changing again. By that point, I would have been much into probably, I don't know, 2006, what would have been out then? <sighs> Parkway Drive, Silosis, mm-hmm. just thinking of some of the no- nonsense that I would have been listening to then. I just felt like it was 30 Crazy Fists were done by that point. I, I think they peaked at Snowcap Romance, and that was me thinking that in 2004 and going back to it in 2021. Nope. No, I was just, I don't like them. Oh, just straight out don't like them now? I just can't. I've had to force myself to listen to them, and I will not wow. be going back. I have no reason to listen to them again after this after this recording. Man, that is a blow. That is that is a blow for for 
for crazy fist fans everywhere. I'm sorry, guys. It's it's it was. I tried. I really did try. I did not listen to this once and pack it away. I think I've listened to both Snowcat Romance and Bitterness the Star maybe a good three or four times over the last week. I will say that the songs, the the, the big songs, Slitterous Theory, Bloodwork, I will likely listen to again. I'll put them on a playlist, let them come up on repeat, whatever. But as far as the albums go, nah. There's nothing going to bring me back oh, to them. Brutal. Yeah, Rest Inside the Flames for me was was great and I loved it. The next album after that, 2008, 2008's The Tide and It's Takers, again, that nautical theme, didn't, didn't do much for me and I sort of dropped off them at that point. 2010's Collision and Castaways was like a ship in the night for me, completely bypassed it, had no idea what it was about. It was only in 2015 when they came back out with Time and Trauma on Spine Farm that I was like, holy shit, this is this is great. Time and Trauma is really good. If if for whatever reason you sort of felt a snowcap romance was like new metal missed the boat or, or you know, it was a bit of a, an unfinished article... Maybe go check out Time and Trauma. It's it's a bit of a more robust one. I think they've got the years behind them of slowly depreciating and maybe watching themselves, you know, drop off Roadrunner into Ferret, into Spine Farm. And there's maybe, ironically, a bit more of a bitterness there in mm. the album. But the actual song, Time and Trauma, is... Uh, is, is, is awesome there's another song in that that album called also am i i personally for me really just it's nice to hear that crazy fist sound again but okay. maybe a bit more mature oh, very good um you know that i don't want to sort of badmouth them too much i think for the time for 2004 it was exactly what i needed to hear in 2004 but from then I would probably count them as sort of a, a very transitional band. So if you were trying to get into hardcore or trying to get into metalcore and you'd been listening to new metal, you'd been listening to a bit of Korn, you'd maybe tried a bit of Linkin Park and you just wanted to, your, your tastes were getting heavier and heavier. These were a very um, intermediary band you could listen to to get you, whet your appetite on what you could get and you know, and it could only get better from here. So yeah, it was it was good to see them live, and I think they put on a good show. It was a very memorable show, possibly more for the support act. But yeah, they just, I just, I'm just a, I'm a bit, I'm, I was, di- I was disappointed. I mean, if you're, if you're disappointed in me seeing it, I was disappointed hearing it. I really wanted to be like, yeah, this was the fucking business, but it really wasn't. Yeah, I, I, I can hear that in your voice now that you were disappointed. No, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that as well. I kind of thought we were both going to come into this and sort of have a re reawakening of crazy fists and love it i i have loved it like i've i have listened to snowcap romance at least i'm pleased i'm really pleased that you've had a positive experience revisiting it i am i really am are you yeah are you glad are you glad i'm pleased i'm pleased anybody's enjoying it good for you and if and if any of our listeners are joining us on this journey going going back through these tell us what you think you know tell us do you like did, did did you get the same feelings that I gave? A bit of disappointment, or have you, or have you got Keith's wonderful nostalgia tinted glasses? I'll tell you where I was disappointed though when I realised that Howard Jones wasn't on this. <laughs> I was like, this which album? Fucking flicking, th- which fucking one was he on? Well, 
it's it's funny because I even said Howard Jones on Destroy the Map. So obviously, Destroy the Map is where there is a featured artist. It's a gentleman by the name of Rathon Clay. Right? Have you been on his Discogs credits? Yes. He's... And it's only Killswitch. <laughs> no, it's uh, only... Killswitch. Fuck! <laughs> it's only Crazy Fists. Yeah, he, he was on. He was with a band. It's mentioned in one of the Wikipedia articles, but his credits for released albums, it's all thirty-six credits. It's almost as if he was like their pal that he would just join them on a, on a couple of songs on an album. Must have been. He's got an Instagram page uh, where he's potentially an artist. I think if I'm making out right, what his pictures are of that he's he's an artist. We're not mixing him up with a, a physicist or anything like that, are we? I mean, it could be. I don't know if there's many Rathon Clays in the world. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Mr. Clay. Uh, R-A-I-T-H-O-N. Rathon? Rathon? It's the last thing that I... Yeah, it was the last thing that I had. It was in my copy and paste. It was the last... <laughs> there he is. Nice. Okay. So he was on uh, Bitterness to Start. He was on... Oh, no, he wasn't on Bitterness to Start. He was in Eracism. Oh, what a fucking dreadful track name. Eracism. On uh, In the Skin. Uh, and he was on Destroy the Map on a Snowcap Romance. And he was on Anchors on Collisions and Castaways. So there is his three vocal credits that are on Discogs. Tell you what, Lav, as we always say, but he's got more vocal credits on Discogs than we do. Yeah, he has. Yeah, he definitely has. Like, (laughs) categorically can say so. Until they start, until we have a credit for every single episode of this we've made, I think he's going to top us for some time. Very much so. No, I mean, I'm even looking at the playlist, man. Like, at the end of August, is an absolute banger. The heart and the shape. Do you know what? I'm not actually a fan of blood work because I think it's gibberish. I don't... I mean, I'll, I kind of do like the song. When I hear it, I'm just like, oh, yeah, like there's the riff. But I don't, I don't really get it. And mm. it's another song that featured on a Resident Evil soundtrack. Yes. Yeah, it is. Can I... I do like Skin and Atmosphere. I think it is a bit more of a, a, a slower-paced song for them to, to try and, and they do some sort of cool stuff. A song for the Fisherman... It's absolute filler, but for some reason I just I just dig it. I'm just this is it. Like this is my rose tinted glasses. I am in the vibe of kill. Oh fuck, they're not even kill switch. I am in the vibe of crazy fists. Like I just I just everything about this band I was totally into. Brock Lindell was an absolute chin strap influencer, and as we all know, I loved a chin strap. <laughs> chin strap influencer. What a what a fantastic phrase to to give it there. Yes. The guy's got some amazing facial hair. Like I'm not, I'm not going to say otherwise. Destroy the maps, obviously a, a great song. Even when it ends with Waterhall, I appreciate Waterhall is actually maybe like a two minute song with one riff, and they've just padded it out either side, you know, to make it a near five minute song. But oh, it hits <laughs> and it fucking slaps and it's good. But that's, I mean, it's an eleven track album it's only 38 and minutes and 18 seconds long yeah that's probably it's been perfect for my walks to work because my walk to work is approximately 35 minutes so it's it's fit the bill really well and it's it's been a, a useful useful tool in my in my um in my journeys to work but after we're done here today you're not going to go back to them nah i'm really looking forward to next week <laughs> i really am <laughs> Next week's next week's going to be a doozy, to be honest. But this is going to actually wait. We we thought we were going to time it for episode twenty, but we haven't. This is episode nineteen. We have no. It's not. This is episode twenty. We're recording right now. Oh well. Oh well. (laughs) Episode twenty, everyone. Woo! 
we made it 20 episodes 20 episodes man we just took a month off a couple of weeks ago no I was going to say as well actually because it's in my notes and I forgot to bring it up we were talking about production we were talking about the album and stuff like that at the end of August and blood work is it just me or do they literally not end properly they don't end properly surely it must be Spotify it must be Spotify it's not Spotify because I remember it that's how I remember the song. I thought, my, right, so I first time listening to it again in, in however many years and I'm walking to work and it just, it ends like a beat, like an entire, like it's a good, it's a very noticeable cut. Yep. And it's as if, and if you're listening on Spotify while walking to work, it's as if you've lost signal. It's as if the, the app has crashed or something. And it's very, very frustrating because I'm like, fuck, it's missed something up. And I ended up having to go back and scrubbed right through to the end just to be like, is that what it's meant to do? And I'm like, mm, maybe the versions they put on Spotify are wrong. And I've just kind of chalked it up with that. But you have you got the CD? Have you tested it? I don't have it with me. But like I say, this was a big album for me. I have listened to this for years, both via the original CD I owned and you know having burnt that onto other cds and having it in the car and, and putting it onto my computer and listening to the input p3 and stuff like that i want to say that's the original sounds broken I, I just have the memory yeah i have the memory that that was how those songs ended and it never sat well with me at the time because it because it sounds weird but i never brought it up with anyone or I never queried it in 2005 when i'm you know pelting down the M8 home from a gig and oh yeah did that song that end properly oh fuck it who cares you know on to the next one so I just wanted to double check with you if you heard it as well and you did oh yeah fully and it fully pissed me off as well <laughs> yeah it's weird I will eventually get that CD back and I will I will listen to it but 100% I don't think the songs end properly and I don't think they ever fixed it it is was it was it an artistic choice? Was it they, they decided we're going to make it deliberately jarring to just end and then the next song, and the next song doesn't even blend into it. It's not like it's not like the beats carry on or something that blends it. It just stops and it feels really wrong. And I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I just it don't very know. Much, it very much stands as a living individual songs because... They don't bleed into each other. They don't sample across each other. You know, the, the album doesn't seem to have been made as... Not uh, that it hasn't been made as a collective piece, that it that they don't particularly... Song for the Fisherman goes into With Nothing Underneath. I'll, a, a, a little bit. Song for the Fisherman is like the, the soft, slow... Yeah, Brock's just talking over it, yeah. And, and I mean, you could probably put any song next and it would sound like it bleeds into it. Maybe they just a cro- have a crossfade on. There was a, maybe the crossfade settings on my Spotify were wrong. But nope, nope. It's just, just, just Definitely. fucked. Can we talk about one thing? Depends. The artwork. You've already mentioned Resident Evil Apocalypse. Okay. The artwork for Snowcap Romance, or the artwork for the End of Heartache. I'll need to compare the two. Compare the one two. One moment, please. One. Dun 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 I couldn't get over how similar these two albums. It's just, I mean, it's just hard. But like, given that you're trying to differentiate yourself or you know trying to stand out, I feel like the the two are 
incredibly similar. This is taking me way too long. I mean, I've done it already now. Wikipedia, Wikipedia is very useful for this, you know. I mean... I think it's just, just a heart. It's just the use of a heart is, is becomes a bit... Yeah, I, you can't really fault them for the, a snow-capped romance. Mm, a romance heart. Oh, well, there actually looks as if though there's a nail sort of driven through 36 Crazy Fists, whereas there's also the nail in Kill Switch. And there is the sort of circular pattern in the background, although I think on Kill Switch it's just their sort of logo, you know, with the sort of skull and the wings. Um, whereas Crazy Fists have more of a Mandela pattern going around them before Mandela's were everyone's tattoo of choice. <laughs> yeah. They're similar, yeah. sure. I'll give you that. They're similar, but I don't think they're immediately rip-offs of each other. No, I think there's... there's and then when you look at the next Crazy Fist album, Rest Inside the Flames, again, it's another heart. But this time it's on fire. It's in flames. Maybe a little nod to their heroes in flames. I mean, I didn't realise that a heart was sort of a repetitive image for them, but maybe that was their logo. Just their hang. Why not? So it's pretty clear where you stand with this album. You weren't a massive fan of it coming back to it, and you're probably not, not going to return. You probably won't be sad to know that maybe the band are aren't around anymore. I'm not sad about it, but I'm I'm interested. I've read about the sort of gossip or drama that mm -hmm. does or doesn't exist. I don't know. I, I know that as a band, their existence is exceptionally questionable at this second. They're sort of Schrodinger's band because everything suggests that they haven't broken up. But yeah, there was a tweet uh, in March of this year that suggests Steve Holt had left the band Yeah, uh, from Metal Sucks covers both articles but in March he is has left the band, he had tweeted X36CF and had a few things to say about a member of the band some pretty damning stuff and then like a week later he's he's not left the band but potentially Brock, the, the band is going to continue, but potentially without Brock. Yeah. I'd be interested to know, I'd be interested to know what, what comes of this more than anything, just, just for the drama, really. It's, it's a very odd sort of chain of events. It's not been a clear, like, we are over. It, it very much feels like it's Steve. I, I, I feel like Steve has said, I'm leaving whether you like it or not. And then Brock's being like, no, you're not leaving, I'm leaving. And then if Steve's like, well, if you leave, I don't want to leave. I don't know. I just don't know. There's no there's no commentary on it. There's very little being said about it. Like you say, there's just the, the Metal Injection or Metal Sucks articles back from April and March. They're saying they've got loads of music written. Is that just a thing bands say to sort of show they're not breaking up? Um well, the, 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 the post that Steve put out said, I have never in my life given more to a cause or person to get dehumanised and betrayed, nor has the extent of selfishness even ever crossed my mind. Family is family. This man is a coward, a thief, a fake, and I'm sad I fell under his spell like many others. RIP 36CF. Yeah. So that was the first post he put up. 
that would have suggested that he was leaving. He then removed that post and for some reason I've copied the wrong link and I don't know what the next post was, but essentially the next post was, no, we will, you know, I think he had a bit of a back and forth with a fan online and the conversation went, no, we will continue, but he only named himself Mick and the drummer. And that suggests, one, that Brock is out and two, he is the the thief, the fake and the, and the coward. Yeah, I'm looking at that Metal Sucks article now, which includes myself, Cobra and Bear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, really strange, and I'd be very interested to know how the story develops, but with no update in five months now, over five months, who's to say what's going to happen? I'm, I'm reckoning there's some record company intervention in this. Uh, they might be going through some, some kind of mediation there might be some legal ramifications, as we are aware that one member is basically calling the other member a thief. Yeah. So there's clearly something, some something's gone down, and uh, I just hope that you know they they see through it, or it comes out and it all comes out in the wash, and we all see who who was right and who was wrong, and who uh, and it, I think it's always sad when a band does break up. Uh, especially one with with as much pedigree as as Crazy Fists have, have sort of built up over the last sort of three decades. Yeah, I mean, as as much as I haven't really listened to their music in the last six years, they are an absolute staple of Little Metal Mini Keith growing up and and listening to riffs and and enjoying that their music and they've always sort of been a fun reminder, as it were. So to see the band end and or to see the band end under these circumstances, you know, even if Brock was to leave or be be outed and if it was to come up, come out that he wasn't a particularly straightforward or good dude, that that would be very upsetting and disappointing to me. But yeah, you're right. At the end of the day, if, if this band disappeared tomorrow, well, I haven't really, haven't really listened to them, any of their new stuff anyway, in, in quite a while. So it's it's no major loss, but it it is at the same time still a great loss because I thought they were a great band. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I've not got much else to say on the old thirty six CF. Have you got any final words? Uh, you were wrong. Um, go <laughs> listen to fucking Paramore ripoffs and fuck you later. <laughs> Fair. I'll take that. <laughs> so. Do you want to talk about next week, or shall I? I'll, yeah. If you want, do you want me to talk about next week? Yeah, I think we we need to sort of lay the groundwork on this one because this next week's going to be a bit of a sort of a mini special, is it not? I don't even know how next week's going to work yet. We should probably start thinking about that. Next week will be fucking Rage Against the Machine. All the fucking albums. All of it. We're just, you know, like we did with Faf, we are going to attack Rage Against the Machine. It's a band I still actively listen to today. Ditto. You still actively listen today. Ditto. We, this, this, I can't fathom how much this band has shaped me. Like, I don't, I don't know where I'd be if it wasn't for Rage Against the Machine. Like, to my very being, like, my personality is shaped on this band because political leanings and yeah. opinions. And, yeah, yeah. And, and all of it, like, I think anyone listening will, will understand 
the, the impact of Rage Against the Machine. We're going to have a special guest next week along with us. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep that one for next week, but we'll, there'll be three of us next week talking about the one and only Rage Against the Machine, and I can't wait. I'm really excited for it. I think there's there's a lot to talk about with uh, with this band. Like you say, very uh, formative for myself, you know, discovering heavy music sort of in the mid to late 2000s, and Raids Against the Machine already had four albums out by then. And they still only have four albums. They still only have four albums. And <laughs> then we we did Audio Slave, so you know we we know what they became. But really, yeah. we we want to go back to the source and uh, have a good listen to these guys. I still, you know, actively follow Tom on on Instagram. I think he is an absolute legend. Uh, he was one of my favorite favorite guitarists when I was learning to play guitar. Um, so yeah, I've got a, I've got a lot of love for this band. Oh, absolutely! Like I would not know the Pentatonic if it wasn't for Raising Against Machine. Do you know what I mean? Like they, Timmy C taught me how to play play bass, and I've I've just forever loved this band. So it's uh, well, hopefully we we won't do them justice. You know, we'll never do them justice. This isn't that kind of podcast where we do bands justice, but hopefully we will at least attempt to acknowledge the incredibleness i want to be able after our discussion to pick my favorite album because it's a a struggle that i have had for 20 over 20 years what's my favorite rage against the machine album what mood are you in these are these are these are the problems that we face it's not a problem you're you're making it a problem i know you don't have to have a favorite album (sighs) what what mood am I in today? Do I want a little bit of the original? Do I want a little bit of that Rage Against Machine? Uh, maybe, maybe want some uh, Battle of Los Angeles. Or I just fancy a covers album that doesn't sound like any covers at all. Maybe. Or let's just rip the face off of it and go for Evil Empire. Oh, That's it. Right. Yeah, I can't wait to go through these albums. The next few days are going to be bouncing on my way to work or. Wherever I'll be listening to music, I'm going to be fighting the mailman. Honestly, I'm, I'm jumping that cunt. <laughs> Go in it now! Brown, 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 brown. I've got a, I've got a f- phone call with a with a call center. How long? Not long. <laughs> <laughs> Give me my poster dick. Wow, wow, Can't wait. wow, wow. Great, great. So that's that's going to be superb. So uh, yeah, without further ado, Keith, do you want to take us home? Yes. Thanks for listening. This has been a live or just blethering. Head over to our Instagram, Twitter, fucking Facebook, YouTube, at AOGB Podcast for all the latest updates, bants, posts we don't make. Sometimes we forget to make our memes for the episode we just did and make them for the following week and completely fuck that up. Anyway, (laughs) my name's Keith McLeod. With me is Chris Lavender. Next week, with a special guest, we will be discussing... Rage Against the Beam. Fantastic. Thanks very much. Good night. Good fight. Good night.